Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Um, we are in the middle of a series called Prepared for the Journey. Prepared for the Journey. I say we're in the middle of a series. I'm going to rephrase that. We're at the end of a series called Prepared for, I just realized this is the last one today, Prepared for the Journey, where we're looking at uh, Moses' story, different aspects of Moses' story, and looking at how God prepared him for the journey, and also looking at how God prepares us for the journey. So this is the final one this week. Anybody been on a road trip before? Any, any yeah, some, some hands going up. Some hands going up. The McDavid's, uh, I was going to say the McDavid's love a road trip, but then I realized that the only two McDavid's who really love a road trip are me and Lisa, and then we take the kids along, yeah, and they, 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 kind of, they kind of don't really love it as much as we do. But we do love a road trip. Here's some photos of, uh, of us on a road trip. So <laughs> this, is, this is really early on. It's my daughter, Caitlin, fast asleep in the back looking as beautiful as ever. So this would have been, go back to that one, sorry. This would have been a road trip to St. Ives. I'm going to talk to you about in a minute because that is the point I want to make. So that would have been a road trip to St. Ives, a long road trip. This is, <laughs> this is us in Scotland at some point. Um, and then this one, I'm not sure where we're going, but Caitlin clearly loves having a photograph taken with her family. So St. Ives is a road trip we, we kind of do every year. We have done for a lot of years, actually. And uh, we learned a lesson once, because we left St. Ives to come back home, which is way down south. Yeah, it should take, should take about five and a half hours on a good run. We left on the Saturday morning to come back. That was the first mistake. First mistake we made. So a journey that should take five and a half hours took us 11. 11. So imagine, imagine being Ethan, uh, who sat on the front here, Imagine being Ethan in the back of the car, not really enjoying road trips anywhere, but now this, this five-and-a-half-hour road trip has turned into an 11-hour road trip. We're stuck in traffic on the M5. But that wasn't the worst thing. The worst thing was that we ran out of snacks. That's, that's, that's the thing that makes a road trip terrible. We ran out of snacks. It was horrendous. It was so bad that we rearranged everything that we did the following year. And uh, when we travel to St. Ives now, we leave in the middle of the night. Yeah? So if you leave in the middle of the night, then you don't get the traffic. And then when we come home, we do the same thing. Leave in the middle of the night, you don't get the traffic. So we drive home. Lisa and I took Caitlin to university two Saturdays ago. Dropped her off in Scotland. And as we were coming home, journey should take three and a half hours. <laughs> journey that should take three and a half hours didn't because the M6 was closed. And there's just nowhere else to go, is there? And so the three and a half hour journey took seven hours, seven continuous hours in the car. Did we run out of snacks? No, we did not. Because we learned our lesson many years ago. And there are always snacks in my car, <laughs> particularly when we're going on a journey. You don't want to run out of snacks on a journey, do you? The children of Israel, this is a bit of a segue, see what I'm doing. The children of Israel were on a journey through the wilderness and they ran out of snacks. No, they ran out of provisions. 
They run out of provisions. And the way that they responded, the way that they acted in this situation is interesting because it helps us to see how we would respond in a similar situation and the way that God responds to them. So Exodus chapter 16 is where we're going. Exodus 16. There's people here still thinking about snacks. I know who you are. So we'll read through the whole, I'll read through the whole, the whole passage, and then I will pull some things out to help us recognize that God, when he, when he helps us with our journey, He also provides for us on our journey. Exodus chapter 16, it says, Then the whole Israelite community came out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. That's a name, not an attitude, although we can see that where they were ended up kind of being their attitude. So they came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. The word grumbling appeared far too many times in the last few minutes, isn't it? That will be one of my points, though, so it's good. When Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, the thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. That's about two liters. The Israelites did as they were told. They gathered some. Some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much, and he who had gathered little did not have too little. It's just amazing. Each one gathered as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, there's always one. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omens for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. 
Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, there will be none. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, which is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Provision for the journey. <coughs> I find it interesting that um, they've come out of captivity. Yeah, So they've come out of, of being slaves for many, many generations God rescues them. They come through the Red Sea. You know, if you've seen Prince of Egypt, they come through the Red Sea, the waters part, they come through all of that. They come into the promised land. And then right at the beginning, they get a little bit hungry and they say, if only we had died. I mean, listen to what they're saying. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. This is their response. They're a bit hungry. If only we had died. A little dramatic, I think. And they come to Moses and Aaron, and, this, and, and they're saying this to Moses and Aaron. And, uh, and we see later on in the passage, Moses keeps saying, why are you grumbling against us? Why are you grumbling against us? And um, I want to start with this challenge, really. Who are you looking to for your provision? Who are you looking to for your provision? At this point, they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron. But actually, they should have been looking to God. The psalmist says in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I look around. And uh, Psalm 121 was one of the psalms they would sing, we believe, as, as people made a pilgrimage towards Jerusalem, which was on a hill. So you'd be looking up, walking up to where Jerusalem was. And so I lift up my eyes to the hills, to the city of Jerusalem where I'm walking to, which represents God's presence. I lift up my eyes to the hills. But where does my help come from? It doesn't come from the hills. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And we need to be careful that we don't look to the hills around us, the people around us, the government, our friends, our family, whoever, that we don't look to them for our provision, but that our eyes are on God. The Israelites said to Moses, if only we had died where we were. And this is, what, this is the next thing they say. This is them grumbling. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What they're describing was when they were in slavery. They were slaves. They were in slavery, enslaved by the Egyptians. But now things are a little bit difficult. And instead of remembering, actually, we were slaves... They have this really strange picture in their heads of sitting around pots of meat and eating whatever they wanted, which could not have been true in the, in the, in the experience they had as slaves. And let me say this. We need to be careful because grumbling can lead to a loss of perspective. Grumbling can lead to a loss of perspective. I'm not saying never complain about anything in your life, but grumbling is something different. Grumbling, chunnering, is that the word? Grumbling is where you're just going over and over the little fine details, the negativity. You're concentrating on that. Grumbling can lead to a loss of perspective. I'd probably say as soon as you start grumbling, really, you've already lost perspective. 
They had lost perspective. They seemed to have forgotten that they were slaves previously, and they were free here, but they were a bit hungry. And so they started to grumble, and they lost their perspective. But the grumbling in this passage is quite important, I think. It helps us to see something. It helps us to see this. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And then Moses and Aaron took the, their, their kind of grumbling to God. And then God said, I've heard the grumbling and, and, and responded in a particular way. And I don't know what you are like, but I think in the situation where I've just set, if, if I put myself in God's shoes, very carefully, if I put myself in God's shoes, I've just set this, these people free from a nation of being enslaved by other people, of doing things that they didn't want to do. They didn't have any freedom at all. I've set them free. And now they're grumbling about something else. I think my response would be, when you stop grumbling and you're a little more grateful for the things I've done, then maybe I'll sort you out. When you, when you, when you grow up, when you change your stinky attitude, then maybe, maybe I might do something for you. But that's not how God works. God provides because of who He is, not because of who we are. Because of who He is, and not because of who we are. I love the testimonies that we heard this morning. And there was a little bit of a theme, wasn't there, sometimes? And because we're humans, and we all have the same kind of thing, where sometimes we think we're not good enough. I'm not good enough. When we think about the bigness of God and who God is, I'm not good enough. When we look at people around us in our church, in our congregation, and we have kind of, I don't know, rose-tinted glasses really, and assuming of who they are and what they do, and we compare ourselves to them and we think, I'm not good enough. And we think we need to be a certain type of person for God to respond to us, or to be a certain way for God to respond to us, or to read so many chapters of the Bible a day for God to respond to us, or to pray every day for 16 hours for God to respond to us. But God provides because of who He is, not because of who we are. It's an amazing thing called grace. It's getting what we don't deserve because of who He is towards us. Dallas Willard was a famous Christian author and a writer. He's in heaven now. But he said this thing about grace. He says, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. Grace isn't opposed to effort. So just because we know that God is going to be gracious to us, it doesn't mean we sit down, we cross our legs, we hold our hands out, and we expect everything to come to us because of grace. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. It's opposed to, if I do this, then God will. That's not grace. But it doesn't mean that because we have God's grace that we can just sit around and wait for stuff to happen. I love how God responds to them wanting food. God doesn't say, hey guys, tomorrow, go outside your tent at 9.15, just hold your mouth open, I'm going to pour some stuff out of heaven into your faces, and then you'll be happy. That's not what God says. God says in the morning, you need to get up. You need to gather. You need to go out and gather. You need to work for this stuff. Go out and gather. And I don't know if you noticed it, but it said when the sun came up, when the sun rose, it would melt away. So if, you're going to think, if you think God's going to provide for me because of grace, because He loves me, and you're going to have a lie-in, guess what's going to happen when you get up? There's going to be nothing there. 
Because when the sun comes up, the stuff that God provided for them, the manna, melted away. And so in order for them to receive the provision that God gave them, they had to work. Not hard. They didn't have to work to earn it. They had to work to get what God had already provided for them. So we don't sit around waiting for it to come to us. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. I love that God set it up in a way that they had to do some stuff to make this work, to sweep this manna up. The second thing, I don't know which number we're on really, but one of the other things I'd like to tell you (laughs) is this. God's provision can subvert our expectations. God's provision can subvert our expectations. Let me explain what I mean. I think sometimes... And this is, this is totally me. So this may just be a point for me. So if this is just a point for me, please indulge me. Let me preach to myself for a minute, and then we'll get back to the stuff that relates to you. All right. But I think sometimes if I'm praying about something, I can have an idea about how it's going to happen, and then that's what I'm looking for, whereas God has a completely different idea about how things should work. And because I have an expectation about how things should turn out, and they don't turn out the way I think they should, I have missed what God has done because God has done something else. His provision sometimes will subvert our expectations. And if we're careful, our expectations can be a barrier to what God wants to do in us because we're saying, this is what I want, and this is how I want it. And God's saying, actually, my ways are higher than your ways. The way that I think, the way that I behave, my view of your life is bigger than your view of your life. And so I have something for you that's different, that's going to come in a different way. It's going to present itself to you in a different way. And if we're not careful, because we're expecting it a certain way, we don't realize that God has answered our prayer and done something else. So our expectations can sometimes be an issue. You see, they called it, what is it? God provided manna for them. It's, we call it manna, but it, the word manna means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Because sometimes that's how God works. We just don't know what it is. What's happening? I don't know, I don't know how this is working out. And so they called it, what is it? What is it? What is it? Because sometimes the way that God works goes beyond the way that we can expect or the way that we hope that He's going to do stuff. What is it? God subverted their expectations. He's not limited to a fi- our finite way of thinking. They, they had to get Moses to explain it to them. They said, hey, what is it? And Moses says, this is the bread of heaven. Moses had to explain, this is what God has provided for you. This is the food that you've been crying out for. This is what you have been wanting. They'd never seen this before. And here is the interesting thing to me, never again since either. Even though God provided for them in the wilderness, and they had this food for 40 years, after they got out of the wilderness to the place they were going, this never happened again. And this is the problem when we see the way that God answers somebody else's prayer, and we think, that's what I want, when actually that may never happen again. God may have some completely different way of meeting your needs, some completely different way of providing for you. The children of Israel never had manna again. And while we talk about expectations, let's recognize 
the, the, the kind of the confusion that all of this would have brought. Hey, listen, you need to get up in the morning. It needs to be early because there's going to be stuff on the ground. That's going to be the stuff that you're going to eat. We need to get up early in the morning because the sun's going to shine. And when the sun shines, it's going to disappear. It's going to melt away. So it needs to be early in the morning. Only collect enough for one day. Unless, of course, it's the sixth day. Because on the sixth day, you need to collect enough for two days. Because on the seventh day, there's not going to be any. So every day, collect enough for that day, but then on the sixth day, collect enough for two days, because on the seventh day, there's not going to be any. But if you collect more than you should, the next day is going to be rotten. Unless it's the sixth day, if you collect enough for the seventh day, then it's going to be fine. Can you see what I'm saying? There's all, there's all this stuff. And you can imagine people going, I can't be bothered. There's just, there's just too much. What, why, why do we have to collect just enough? For, why can't I just collect enough for tomorrow? Then I have to get out of bed tomorrow. I could just eat the stuff I've collected. And why, some, why is it working for one day and not another day? Here's the thing. God provides for us, but we have to trust Him. We have to trust Him. It did say that God said, I will test to see if they will follow my instructions. We have to trust Him. It's an exercise in trust. Either we trust Him or we don't. But wherever we find ourselves, let me say this to you. God will provide for you. He will provide for you for you. <coughs> when uh, my family and I moved to Warrington, so we felt that, that God wanted us to be here. We'd had lots of conversations with Lucas and Sarah, uh, who are lead pastors of Life Church, and, uh, and we felt this is where we needed to be. So uh, I gave up my job, handed in my notice. Lisa gave up her job, handed her notice. Our kids gave in their notices at school. No, that's not how it works. They don't have to give any notice. Uh, Ethan to finish his GCSEs. Caitlin was just about to start her GCSEs, so we moved across to live in Lucas's garage. <laughs> yeah, it's converted. It's all right. It wasn't just the garage. So we, we moved across. We moved across. We didn't have jobs. We didn't have a house. We didn't have anything, but we felt this is where we needed to be. So my prayers would be, God, I need a job. Well, I mean, it's a good prayer. Hey, I need, I need a job because I need to provide for my family. And uh, Lisa's prayers would have been the same. Uh, Nick needs a job. No, she was praying for herself. She needed a job as well. <laughs> and so she got a job for three days uh, doing supply in Salford. She had to drive to Salford to do that. And, uh, and I, I saw a job and I thought, this would be brilliant. It's teaching in a college in, in Widnes. Uh, I can get the train to Widnes. And it's a 20-minute walk to the college. This would be perfect. It's teaching stuff that I know how to teach. I mean, it's, it's, almost, oh, it's almost like the lights are shining. This is, this is the job for you, Nick. So I went for an interview three people in the interview, and um, we had to do some lessons, and then we had to do some assessments, and then we had to have lots of one-to-ones with lots of people, and, um, and then at some point in the interview, the question is, uh, I noticed that you lived in, in Newark. Why, why have you moved to Warrington? Well, it's a great question. <laughs> so in my interview, I, had, I got asked this by a few different people. Why have you moved to Warrington? Well, you have to tell them the truth, don't you? You can't just say... Well, I heard Warrington was amazing, and so decided to come and have a, a, little, a little life in Warrington. I have to tell him the truth. Warrington is amazing, but I have to say, you know, I uh, have some friends who lead a church, and we moved to help them with the church. And then in the interview, that's where it goes a little bit awkward, because people don't know what to say then. And then it's like, okay, uh, and then we move on to something else. But I did, not, I did not shy away from saying that, because that is the truth. That's why we moved to Warrington. So I assumed everything was good. Went to kids camp, got a phone call at kids camp. 
uh, hey, Nick, uh, your interview was great. We've decided to give the job to someone else. Oh, what? No. Why? That's my job. That is the job that is perfect. That's the job that I can do. That's the job in, in a college that I can get to. I need to have a job. Uh, what am I going to do now? So I was, I was disappointed. To say the least, I was disappointed. Because I had expectations about how things would work. And it made perfect sense that this job would be mine. And, uh, and it wasn't. Because God does stuff differently. A couple of days later, the college rang me back and they said, Hey, listen, there's a teacher who's going off in November. And uh, she's going off on maternity leave. And we thought you were great, so we'd like you even though we've given this job to this other person, we'd like you to come and do the maternity cover if you're interested. And I said, well, well, sure, but that's, that's November, and I kind of need a job in between. So, And the lady said, if you find something else before then, that's fine. But, um, but we'll put you down for November if that's okay. So I said that was okay. I tried for other stuff. Nothing was happening. So now I'm feeling a little bit guilty because my wife is driving to Salford uh, to do her job, and I'm just hanging out with Lucas all day. <laughs> I mean, it was great. I'm hanging out with Lucas all day, and I'm feeling guilty because I am not working. I'm like, God, I need to provide for my family. And then I had this sense that God was speaking to me, and God, this is what I felt God was saying to me. It's good that you feel you need to provide for your family, but who actually is the provider? Who is the provider? And it was a tough, it was a tough few days because I had to wrestle with that because I know that God is my provider, but I could see that there was something in me that said, I need to do this, and I was trying to fix it. I need to do this. And so I left it with God. And, uh, and there was a day where I was really concerned about it. I said, God, what if, what if they forget about me in the college and they just give this job to someone else? I mean, I can't ring up and say, hey, do you remember that maternity leave? It's still me, yeah? Still got my name down, yeah? It sounds a bit desperate, doesn't it? I didn't want to do that. I was concerned about it. The very next day, I got a phone call from them saying, hey, still got you down for the maternity cover. Hope you're okay for that. I'm like, yes, this is great. The next day, they called me and said, hey, listen, one of our teachers is off sick. Do you fancy coming in early to, uh, to cover some classes? So I said, yes, I can do that. So I went in. This is in, supposed to start in November. I went in at the end of September to do that. And then when I went in, they called me into the office and said, this teacher is going to be off for a while, so do you mind if we roll your contract forward to now and, uh, and start your maternity cover now? And I said, well, uh, no, because you said, no, of course I didn't say no. <laughs> you said November. I've, I've still got loads of coffees to have with Lucas. <laughs> I said, yes, of course. And so my job started then. And it would have been, uh, so I'm doing maternity cover, it would have been February afterwards. I got called into the boss's office, she said, I need to talk to you about your job. So I'm like, oh, okay. It's maternity cover, so this lady's going to come back to work at some point. So I understand that at some point I'm going to have to look for another job. She said, someone in your department is leaving. Oh, it's not me, is it? <laughs> it's not, this is not how you're telling me that I'm not great. She's like, someone in your department is leaving, and so we're going to have to advertise for that job. So, and this is what she said, do you mind if we switch your contract to permanent, and then we just advertise for someone to do the maternity cover? Well, let me think. <laughs> let me think about that for, of course, that would be amazing. And so, I wasn't trying. I didn't ask any questions. I didn't pursue anything, but my job just rolled from being maternity cover into being a full-time position. After trying and after expecting, this is how God works. 
Now, I could, have, I could have said no to all of that and just gone to do something else because I was desperate to see something happen. And my expectations of how God was going to answer didn't work out the way I wanted to. But we have to trust. And I have to learn that just as much as, as we all have to learn that together. We have to trust that God will provide for us. We stay close to Him. We listen to what He says. But we have to trust Him. The final, second to final thing is this. God's provision gives us rest. God's provision gives us rest. God made it very clear to them that on the sixth day, you collect for two days. Because on the seventh day, you don't have to collect anything. You can rest. Some of us have trouble with rest. We have trouble with the concept of rest. Because we think rest equals laziness. But rest is important. Let me tell you, rest is important. I've got many things to talk to you about rest, but we won't do it today. I'll do it another day maybe. But I have, to, I have had to learn and still have to learn to rest properly because rest is important. And rest is so important here that even though the rules were you had to get up early before the sun rises to go out and collect the stuff on the Sabbath, you didn't have to do that. You collected it the day before. And on the Sabbath, you rested. So God's provision for us gives us rest. And when God provides for us and we have an opportunity to rest, we need to be careful not to fill those moments with other stuff. We have to take the opportunity that God gives us to rest. Finally, John chapter 6. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 and people are chasing after Him because they've seen a miracle and they love it and they want a bit of spectacle really. They're excited to see what will happen. What is Jesus going to do next? And so people follow him. And uh, they, come to, they come to Jesus, a big crowd, they come to Jesus. And from verse 30, it says, So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? They've already seen the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus fed more than 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Now they want to see something else. What miraculous sign? Then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're, quote, they're quoting Old Testament scripture to Jesus. Hey, remember that story in Exodus when the Israelites were, were trapped in the wilderness? You fed them with bread, manna from heaven. What are you going to do? What are you going to do for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Still looking for something uh, miraculous, some kind of sensational thing. Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. My final point is this. Jesus is God's provision. Jesus is God's provision to us. To us who are separated from God, who are lost as far as the Bible uh, makes it very clear, who lived our lives the way that we wanted to, Jesus is God's provision for us. For, for the fact that we were separated from God and couldn't get to God, Jesus is God's provision for us. He comes in and He stands in the gap so that we who were lost can come to Jesus and say, I need you in my life. Jesus is God's provision 
for us. And so regardless of what we face, regardless of what's happening in our lives, the first place we go, the first place we should go is to Jesus because He is God's provision for us. Whether we know Him well or whether we don't know Him at all, the first place we should go is to Jesus to say, I don't know what to do in this circumstance, but I've heard some dude talking about you and I want you to prove that you are my provision in some way. Jesus is God's provision. In fact, Jesus is. That is, sounds like it might be a good title for a sermon series. Jesus is. So let's pray. Let's pray. Wherever you are, just close your eyes for a moment. There's so much in this passage, Lord. And there's, there's so much that we can relate to. We can relate to not having much. We can relate to being worried about where the, the next pay packet is going to come from. We can worry about who's going to pay the bills. We can worry about not having food in our cupboards. And there, there are lots of things that we can look to for help. And, and that is great, Lord. But I pray that you would help us to be people who trust you for our provision. That we would recognize that you are our provision. And that we will trust in you. Help us not to be people who grumble and who get caught in a spiral of negativity. But instead, we will lift our eyes up to you, Jesus. That we will trust that you are our helper, the maker of Lord and heaven, of Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, our Lord. And that we will see that you are the one who provides for us. Jesus, I pray that, that you will help us not to let our expectations of what should happen and how it should happen uh, to become a barrier to what you want to do in us. We trust you, Lord. And I pray that where our trust for you is a bit flaky, a bit weak, I pray that you'd strengthen our trust in you. I pray, Jesus, that you will do something in us to help us to see that not only are you our provision, but also there may be instances where you want us to be provision to people around us. You want to work through us because you choose to work through people. And so help us not to be people who just cling to the things that we have and hold them to ourselves. But Lord, I pray you help us to see where we may be a blessing to others, that they will be able to see that you are their provider. Open our eyes, I pray, in Jesus' name, and continue to prepare us for the journey that you have us on. In your name, Lord. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.